Welcome to the Healing Pain Podcast with Dr. Joe Tata. Each week, we interview top experts in physical therapy, pain science, and integrative pain care. You'll learn the most up-to-date information for treating and reversing persistent pain. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended to be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Joe Tata. Hey there, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Healing Pain Podcast. Today, we are once again discussing nutrition and chronic musculoskeletal pain. And actually, today's episode is an update. The reason why it's an update is because until a couple months ago, if you went into PubMed and looked for a systematic review or a meta-analysis on how diet and nutrition influence or impact chronic musculoskeletal pain, you would have only found one review. I'm excited today to introduce you to a researcher who is also a physiotherapist who has completed the second systematic review. It was available in the March 2020 Journal of Clinical Medicine. It's an open access paper, so we'll link to it in in the show notes so you can access it. And the title of that review is Do Nutritional Factors Interact with Chronic Musculoskeletal Pain? A Systematic Review. My expert guest this week is Omar Elmer. He has been a physiotherapist since 2014, and he is currently pursuing his PhD with the Pain in Motion Research Group with a focus on the link between chronic musculoskeletal pain and nutrition. On today's episode, we'll discuss the findings of his systematic review that investigated the interaction between nutrition and chronic musculoskeletal pain, the mechanisms of action between nutrition and pain and how diet and nutrition interacts with central pain processing mechanisms, the role of the gut microbiome and its interaction between nutrition and pain, and finally, how nutritional factors affect the sensitization of the central nervous system. Okay, without further ado, let's begin. Let's meet Omer Elma and let's look at how nutrition factors influence musculoskeletal pain. Hi, Omer. Thanks for joining me on the Healing Pain Podcast this week. Thank you for, for giving me an opportunity to participate and to have a conversation with you, Joe. Thank you. It's definitely a topic that everyone who follows the Healing Pain Podcast is interested in, and it's a topic that more and more integrative practitioners and more and more physical therapists are interested in. First, before we start to talk about nutrition, just tell us about your current work. Kind of give us like the broad overview of who you are and what you're doing. I'm a physiotherapist and I have only a physiotherapy background. So I want to just little bit tell about my, how I, about my history of coming to this PhD position. After my graduation, I mostly worked in orthopedic rehabilitation field. It was for two years. And during these two years, although I was not like structurally aware of like kind of like biopsychosocial approach, uh, I was trying to care about patients like psychological situations because uh, my sister, uh, she is, she's a psychologist. And we were always having talks about health psychology and I was reading her books of health-related context. So I noticed that like implementing psychology science in pain management had obvious positive effects on uh, treatment outcomes of like patients. So with this experience, I started my master program at the University of Nottingham. And it was, again, uh, on advanced uh, neuromuscular skeletal practice. Like there, I had more opportunity to learn and expand my knowledge on like various components of chronic pain, like including uh, social factors and lifestyle factors. And during these times, I met with Pain in Motion International Research Group. 
And with the help of my talks and discussions, Professor Yones, I realized like how less attention has been given to the nutrition as a lifestyle factor. And then I have decided to study the link between nutrition and chronic musculoskeletal pain. And this is why I'm here. And I started to work here at Ibre University of Brussels in Belgium. And now we have nutrition and pain research group here and we are doing our research on like mainly two two group of patients chronic musculoskeletal pain patients and breast cancer survivors who has chronic pain but my uh, field is chronic musculoskeletal pain so yeah until now in our work like and publications and works we were aiming to bring together and to give an overview of the available literature to raise awareness about this topic and to share our ideas with the scientific community and the clinicians and patients. Yeah, I think it's definitely excellent. I mean, as physiotherapists in the United States, nutrition is more and more a part of our graduate training and the doctor of physical therapy programs, both as far as health and wellness and promotion, but more and more nutrition is just kind of becoming like another modality we use, just like therapeutic exercise or pain science education. Nutrition is really being elevated to that level in our profession. So it's great to see a a physiotherapist and a researcher like yourself help us make the connections that we're seeing in clinical practice help us prove what those connections are so it becomes valid for our practice. You, of course, recently did a systematic review that investigated the interaction between nutrition and chronic musculoskeletal pain. Can you kind of give us some of the highlights of what you found in that systematic review? Of course, like uh, this review constitutes like our first step in, in the research line, research line pain and nutrition. In this review, we were mainly aiming to see like how dietary patterns of patients and components of their diet interact and linked with their pain. And therefore, we, we, we include both like observational and experimental studies. Like one important point here as a nutritional factor and dietary patterns instead of single nutrient, instead of focusing on single nutrient intakes, because this is also in the literature, like it is suggested as a more natural way of searching uh, nutrition, nutritional factors. Uh, in this way, by investigating overall diet, it was possible to take into account synergistic effect of nutrients that are consumed together. At the end of review process, we ended up 12 studies and nine of them were experimental and three were observational. Seven out of nine of these experimental studies reported improvement in chronic pain. So they, they were saying like dietary change can change, can affect chronic pain. And these positive pain-reducing diets included vegan diets for fibromyalgia and rheumatoid arthritis patients and uh, weight loss calorie-restricted diets for osteoarthritis patients and vegetarian diet for general musculoskeletal pain and FODMAP diet for fibromyalgia, peptide diet for rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, this type of diet has effects on these patients. Like from the observational studies, the evidence is really weak because it's not easy to have like to research nutrition like observationally and to have like scientifically strong evidence. And but but I can mainly like mention rheumatoid arthritis patients Maybe some micro and micronutrients uh, such as like calcium, folate, zinc, magnesium, vitamin B6. And fibromyalgia patients, they, they show lower intake of carbohydrates, proteins, lipids, vitamin A, E, 
K, this kind of like micronutrients and micronutrients. And also the last thing maybe I can say about the, like uh, from the observation studies uh, about the relation association between pain severity and the intake of some nutrients. And this is like pain severity we found, uh, they, they reported like is positively associated with fat and sugar intake in uh, chronic osteoarthritis patients, pain and the pain threshold is found like positively associated with protein uh, protein intake yeah mm. so th th these these were like main findings that i can mention here yeah and that right there is a lot for us to kind of maybe discuss for a little bit and unpack so you mentioned that you looked at different types of overall diet changes basically so taking yeah. someone who was on let's say their standard everyday diet and then changing their dietary pattern toward as you mentioned a vegetarian diet or a vegan diet. You mentioned a FODMAP diet in there. Yep. So they looked at different types of diets. One thing that you said, which was important, which we haven't really gone into detail much on this uh, podcast, and I want to kind of bring it to light here a little bit, is that nutrition and pain studies are very difficult to conduct. And they're very difficult to do in a way that really has a lot of power behind them. Can you explain to us why that is and potentially why we're not seeing as many studies on nutrition and pain? Uh, yeah, actually, this is something I experienced uh, when I start collecting data and when I start to read the articles. Because human body by itself is complex and we are talking about the pain and chronic pain. It is more complex than we know. And nutrition research is really difficult because nutritional factors can have uh, many interactions with many factors. And we don't know the result is exactly because of the nutritional intake or dietary change or something else. Because we don't know also the interaction mechanisms, what is happening in the human body. It's not really easy to figure out what is happening there. And also, as I said, like the diet itself, there are like various many factors that can affect your results and you cannot control these results in your laboratory or in your study. I think from my point of view, one most important thing that we need to like deal when we conduct the research on nutrition. Yeah. When I, when I look through the literature on nutrition and chronic pain specifically, one of the things that always strikes me is that so often there's the lack of a control group. Yeah. I and I think if that right there was just taken toward more diligently, I think we'd have some better information and certain practitioners would feel more confident in using nutrition in their practice. And then you mentioned just the idea of nutritional factors not affecting one, let's say, process in our body, but affecting multiple at the same time. And there could be pros and cons to that because the pro to it could be that, well, it could influence pain positively and it could also influence yeah. cardiovascular disease positively. So there are two sides of the coin yeah. to that as well. Talk to us about the mechanisms behind what you discovered with regard to the interaction between nutrition and pain. So specifically, we're looking at pain processing mechanisms. What did your research discover? Yeah, this is, this is, again, like the one thing that I have learned during my readings in nutrition research, it's difficult to identify the exact mechanism of action. And however, if we, if we bring together relevant research and some dominant underlying mechanisms can maybe help us to explain the association interaction between pain and nutritional factors. So in our systematic review, when we consider the findings and the, the way that their theories and among studies that found positive effect, the main point is 
like we can collect under a broad term is healthy eating. So because most of the effective diets were like plant-based diet and compared to like omnivorous diets, they are like plant-based diets such as vegan and vegetarian diets have higher scores on healthy eating index and this kind of indexes. If we look at how they are healthier and they are healthier or less healthier, than the omnivorous diet. So if we analyze the components of these plant-based diets, studies show that they show more nutritional sufficiency and the amount of nutritional intake is more in line with recommended daily intakes. So compared to like compared to omnivorous diet. And if we go more specifically and more if we go more in depth, one of the most important impacts of dietary intakes is their effects on neuroimmune system like their effects on neuroimmune activation. For example, another index that we can use to see this association is dietary inflammatory index. And this index is used to measure the inflammatory potential of specific foods or dietary patterns. Like from this point of view, we see that plant-based diets are more pro-inflammatory. So they have a relieving effect on systemic inflammation and which can lead pain relieving as well. And because chronic low-level inflammation is suggested like one of the underlying causes of chronic skeletal pain conditions, mm-hmm. like including low back pain, fibromyalgia, and etc. So therefore, their effect on chronic musculoskeletal pain might arise from their pro-inflammatory characteristics. And lastly, I mentioned in, in the, like, as I mentioned uh, before, like calorie-restricted diets are also suggested as effective on osteoarthritis pain. I know there are like also a conflict on this type of diets. Uh, however, it's not clear how this type of diet act on pain because all the patients show significant weight loss and therefore the impact of this type of diet can be explained basically its effect on weight loss. Because on the other hand, here again, like the neuroimmune system can play a major role. And because obesity itself associated uh, with increased serum inflammatory biomarkers, therefore a decrease in adipose tissue, especially in fat mass, can result in decreased systemic inflammatory biomarkers and inflammatory responses. So in uh, this will lead again pain relief in this type of patients, like in these patients. So these so- are like healthy eating, neuroimmune activation and maybe weight loss by itself, but it depends we are it depends the patient's group because yeah, then the mechanism action change. This is what I see in the Right. So the, the neuroimmune part really speaks to practitioners who are interested in treating chronic pain because we know that pain is a function of the nervous system. So that kind of makes kind of the green lights blink on and off. And then you mentioned weight loss. So of course we think about pressure on joints, especially the weight-bearing joints, although you're actually taking a step further, which I appreciate. And you're saying, well, if there's a decrease in specifically visceral adipose tissue, that there lead that leads to a change in inflammatory biomarkers that can be measured in basic blood work. Yeah. And then, so if we, if we take that one step further, and the microbiome is on the tip of everyone's tongue when we're talking about nutrition, what did your research tell you about the gut microbiome with regard to certain chronic pain conditions like fibromyalgia or rheumatoid arthritis? Yeah, this was also like kind of like mechanism of action of diets that can they affect pain. 
it was like related with the neuroimmune activation. That's why I didn't mention it like specifically. But it's well evidenced that uh, there is a bidirectional relationship between a central nervous system and good microbiota. So microbiome, which is called like good central nervous system axis. And uh, patients with chronic musculoskeletal pain, for instance, fibromyalgia, can have alteration in their good microbiome. And alteration in the good microbiome can cause systemic inflammation again. And inflammation in the central nervous system, which can contribute to pain chronification and amplification also. It is known that dietary intake, and we know like dietary intakes can change, can affect good health. Therefore, in chronic pain patients, good microbiome can be a therapeutic target as well. So from this point of view, yeah, it, it is reported that compared to omnivorous or Western-style diet, a plant-based diet, such as vegetarian, vegan, and Mediterranean diets, they play an important role in protecting uh, the stability and diversity of uh, good microbiome. So the reason behind this interaction, uh, when, when we also see the literature between plant-based diets and the healthy good microbiome, is the high proportion of some specific nutrients that have positive effects on good health, such as like high amounts of dietary fiber, polyunsaturated fatty acids, plant-dairy proteins, and polyphenols. So yeah, therefore, the application of more plant-based diet might alleviate chronic musculoskeletal pain by their positive effect on good microbiome and eventually on systemic and central inflammation. So the microbiome has an immediate impact on the function of your nervous system, because there's a bidirectional relationship between yeah. the microbiome and your central nervous system. Yeah. This is what we can like, yeah, from the readings, what we understand is, yes, there is a bidirectional relation and you can have negative effects uh, with your uh, like poor diet or lifestyle, the other lifestyle factors, or you can have positive effects and have more healthier, good microbiome, and you can have positive effect on your nervous system. It's important because we're seeing a lot of changes in the literature with regard to looking at the microbiome with many different types of chronic diseases that are either primary or secondary to people living with chronic pain. Yeah, it's, it's, this is a kind of new approach to, to, to the pain field. That's why day by day, like with readings, we see like microbiome is kind of like second brain, they say. Yeah. I don't know how, how correct it is, but for us, it is now it's really considered an important place to investigate, to find out the more comprehensive approach to the chronic pain and pain. Yeah, I, and I appreciate that because I think as physical therapists, if we you know, go back a couple of decades, we would say, well, our way into the nervous system, our way to influence the nervous system in someone who's living with chronic pain is through exercise or potentially manual therapy. And then over time, as we've noticed the psychosocial factors become more important, then we're looking at things like kind of top-down mechanisms where we have educational interventions, psychoeducation interventions, or psychotherapeutic interventions. And now really what you're saying is the research is pointing strongly to a third way, this second brain, if you will, that through diet changes, we can influence and modulate the nervous system. Yeah, of course. I'm saying this, like when you say this, I remind just a kind of like, story. Once a scientist attends Congress and he asks about, like, he asked a professor who is really, like, into the brain field, he asked, like, what is the proportion that you can say how much of the brain that we know? And he say, like, 5% or 30%. I don't know. But the next year, when he asked the same question, 
he says we know one percent maybe but how it decreased because as much as we learn we learn how we how we know less in this field so for me it was the same when i when i start doing research on pain i was thinking okay i will memorize the physiology and neuroanatomy of the pain and then i will i will know some ways like uh, manual therapy and uh, like some therapeutic agents and then it's okay i will just do it and then finish but as much as i read i learn how it is complex and how we need to like we are not aware of the things that we don't know so mm -hmm. day by day we will see how it is connected with other like factors that even we, we don't know now the science is this like cumulative it's, it's just yeah yep. accumulating so Omar, as a physiotherapist, how has your investigation into nutrition changed your perspective on how we can help people with pain? As a physiotherapist, I don't know in, in U.S. or in, in other countries the, how physiotherapists, uh, the rights of physiotherapists in the clinical practice, but I'm from Turkey and, I, and there we don't have actually the strong, I think, even we, we, we cannot touch patients for manual therapy without permission of doctor. So, but patients, they ask for something that, I don't know, is for all patients, but something like drug or something like to change their life. It's not just show exercises and do, do, do some electrotherapy and send them home. So for me, I find a way to touch their life. I think this is, this is something important for me. And with the nutrition, it's not only the pain that you target, it's also the quality of their life. And I think, yeah, this, this is also like two ways intervention. You will manage pain and then also it's, it, it will be kind of preventative rehabilitation for the next uh, maybe problems that, that will occur or that you, you prevent to, to occur. So for me, uh, yeah, this is a kind of like I find a therapeutic intervention that i can use uh, i can use in the in the clinic nutrition is a really powerful contextual change agent that's the way i look at it like if we want to change the context of someone's life and move them toward yeah. a life of cultivating pain versus a life of moving beyond their pain nutrition is a really powerful way to cultivate and change that context for people because of course it nourishes your body, but in a lot of ways it nourishes your soul. It affects your social connections. It affects so many aspects of how we live yeah. as humans. I'm also wondering how has your diet changed since you've been studying nutrition? Have, okay. you, have you explored more? Have you experimented more? Have you looked back and said, well, I've been eating things I may not should have been eating and made some positive changes? Has it been helpful for your behavior change? So we have saying, I think in English also, there's saying something like, it's like, do what I say, but don't do what I do. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, for, for me, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm a Turkish and I like to eat food. Yeah, now I know how unhealthy I am feeding myself. But before, I, I was not aware of it. So day by day, I'm trying to change also my diet because, yes, now maybe we don't have any pain, but we don't have any problem, but it doesn't mean that we will have in the future. So I'm trying to change, but it's not easy, actually. This is a nice experience also. Like we are saying, using nutrition as a therapeutic target in the clinical practice, but we know it's not really easy to change habits of people. So then... I think I will also keep this in mind and to find more effective ways. And also I'm trying some, like when I learn a type of diet, I'm trying in my life to see the effects 
and to see what, what are the difficulties in this type of diet. And for example, if I start to work with the patients, I'll keep these all experiences in my mind and then try to give from this line that's to make it more applicable, more doable for them. So That's yeah, right. but but for in my life, it's 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 not changing. I think a lot. I I need to be honest here. So. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell people, you know, physical therapists who explore nutrition and ask me questions. I always say, think back to when you were in physical therapy school. You tried every exercise and yeah. you tried every joint mobilization on yourself as well as on other people. And it's the same with nutrition. Like when you you learn a little bit about it, you have a foundation base of knowledge. Maybe you start making some small changes on your own, try different diets, try certain supplements, see how they work on yourself. And then you gain a little bit more confidence to use it with, with other people. You mentioned, you mentioned during the, our chat here, a plant-based diet a number of times. And I just want to I want to come back to that because the word plant-based means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And plant-based can encompass many different diets. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Like even we we say plant-based, plant-based is kind of like group of diets. You can put many type of diets in this plant-based diet. Um, But I I was just trying to collect them under a broad term to, to make it easier, more to understand. But also like if we go more in specific, like for example, if we say Mediterranean diet, but also it doesn't mean one kind of diet. Also, when I when I read research, they say like vegan diet, but there are some changes always. It's not the it's not the same vegan diet that they follow in the in the research. So for me, also after our systematic review, we were really willing to conduct a like kind of meta analysis, but but with the results, it was not possible because the nutrition is not same for. Or even it's a vegan diet, it's not same vegan diet. And right. there are more heterogeneity in, in, in the same term even. Right. Yes. So a plant-based diet simply means the base of your diet or the majority of your diet is plant food. So for instance, a Mediterranean yeah. diet, okay. as you mentioned, there are many different types of Mediterranean diets because there are many different types of Mediterranean yeah. cultures. And even in the US, our nutritional associations have tried to adopt the DASH diet which is similar to a Mediterranean diet with less of a, a cultural kind of context to it, but doesn't necessarily mean that it's a meat-free diet necessarily. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. So, so the amount of meat, the amount of how you cook it and the, the type of meat, so it, it changes and this changes like healthy characteristics of your diet. And so, of course, as you said, it's, it doesn't mean like meat-free diet. Yeah, that's right. And I always encourage people as as people are listening to this episode, and this is for researchers as well as clinicians, and as well as for people who are interested in, in, you know, helping soothe their pain with nutrition, so to speak, is that nutrition changes throughout your life. So your nutritional needs may change as you exercise, your nutritional needs may change as you develop a condition or as you overcome a condition, and your nutritional needs may change as you age as well. So they're all really good topics to to talk about and they all point back to that plant-based diet and you can, within that plant-based diet, it's not constrained, there's flexibility there to make changes that are right for you and a form of personalized medicine really for your body. All right, it's been wonderful chatting with you. Tell us what's next in your line of work with regard to nutrition and research. As I said, as much as I read, that I learn how we have a long way on the road. So this is just first steps that we revealed some some articles and publications to bring we bring together these these kind of ideas. And uh, first of all, we want to influence and give give inspiration to to the researchers to collaborate and to clinicians to think about 
implement nutrition in, in their clinical practice. This is, I think, the main idea of doing research uh, for me. I don't know, maybe someone can say something different, but for me, because, yeah, this, this is what we do. And here, I want to just share, I want to just share something with you. Like once I read in a paper, it says like, it takes 10 years, a scientific knowledge uh, transmit into the practice, or approximately 10 years. And I think this is a long, long time. And we are trying to, uh, we, and thanks to, thanks to you and with these episodes, and maybe we will decrease this time to just practice in the, start to practice in the clinical practice. So, but here, we, what we do is now we are preparing some experimental research that we are interested in, for example, kind of like blood glucose levels, pre-diabetics, diabetics, and the glycemic response and their relation with the pain. So these kind of like ideas we have in mind, now we are working on, on it. So I hope we will share with the, with the, with the community these findings. Yeah. Excellent. We definitely appreciate your work and we appreciate you making these connections for us so we can understand how nutrition has an impact on the central nervous system, on the microbiome, of course, on central processing mechanisms yeah. to go out to chronic pain. Omar, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Let us know how we can learn more information and follow your work. You can follow uh, the publications from ResearchGate or I'm a member of, as I said, like International uh, Pain in Motion International Research Group. Uh, you can follow from there. Uh, these, these two two channels, I think. I, I don't use social media. That's why I cannot uh, share with you this type of channels. But these channels, I think, generally we, we get in contact with the people and uh, we collaborate from these channels. I want to thank Omar for being on the podcast this week discussing nutrition and chronic musculoskeletal pain. You can, of course, learn more about him by searching on ResearchGate under his name, Omar Elma, or you can go to the Pain in Motion group and you can find them at www.paininmotion.be. I'm Dr. Joe Tata. Please make sure you share this episode with your friends, families, and colleagues who are interested in learning how nutrition can be used to treat musculoskeletal pain. And make sure you sign in and stay connected to us by going to the IntegratedPainScienceInstitute.com. Go to the podcast tab and you can sign up for the latest episode, which we'll send you to your inbox each and every week. I'm Dr. Joe Tad. It's been a pleasure and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Healing Pain Podcast with Dr. Joe Tata. To subscribe to the podcast and learn more, visit IntegrativePainScienceInstitute.com. That's IntegrativePainScienceInstitute.com. Sign up to receive weekly updates, leave a review on iTunes, and share this episode with your friends.